0: me to Luke chapter 5. Um, we've been going through the book of Luke here, Pastor Chris has taken us through a lot of it, and then last week we looked at the end of chapter 4, um, and what we saw there is that Luke points our attention to two things about Jesus' word, that it has authority, and then it has power. And we said it has absolute authority and absolute power. And so the implication of that is... That we, that we hold on, we grab on to that word that has the power to, to change us and the authority to be obeyed. And so as we move into chapter 5 today, we'll see Luke telling us a story that teaches us the kind of response that the words of Christ require from us. And what we'll see is, is an example in this story of what I like to call just do it obedience. The obedience that says, well, Jesus said it, so I'm going to do it. And so we you turn me to Luke chapter 5, we're going to read verses 1 through 11 here. It says, Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him, and him being Jesus, while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But I will do as you say and let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement has seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken." And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So this account here that Luke records for us, teaches us, like I said, about about obedience. Now, we we know when we read the Gospels that they're primarily about Jesus, what Jesus did, what Jesus taught, how Jesus died for us and rose again, and how he gives us a mission to spread that abroad. Uh, But a a secondary purpose of these books is also to teach us about the disciples who would become the apostles and the leaders of the early church. So we read about how Jesus died chose them, how Jesus taught them. We read about all their mistakes. So we definitely see the books don't try to teach us that these guys were better than anyone else. And but just think of it, in the early church, as they were leading the church, someone might have said, well, why should I listen to this Peter or this John or this Andrew? Well, we have the records to show that these were the guys that Jesus picked himself to lead the early church. And that, that establishes their their authority as Jesus' chosen leaders of that early church. And we see in this story, this is the first time in the book of Luke that they get to be an active part of the story. Simon was mentioned once before, but just by the fact that his mother-in-law was sick and Jesus healed his mother-in-law. So all we know so far about Simon really is that he was married because he had a mother-in-law. But now they get to be a more active part of the story. And so in this story we see two instances of this just-do-it obedience by Peter specifically. And so the first one is in the first half of the passage here, and it starts off setting the scene for us, so we kind of want to imagine what this looks like as we read these first, first few verses. So it says, It happened while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, and he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. So Jesus is standing by water, lots of crowds around him, and they all want to be close to him, to hear him, and maybe to touch him, to be healed. It says, He saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. So Jesus is here on the boat. The crowds are on the shore of this this lake. Uh, Now this Lake of Gennesaret, we have uh, a map here, we, we usually refer to it as the Sea of Galilee. That's how the other Gospels refer to it. And uh, we would probably agree more with Luke. It's more a lake than a sea. Um, it's about eight miles uh, across one way and 13 miles the other way. So we have lakes bigger than that here in Washington, right? So we would probably say, Luke, you're, you know, it's a lake more than a sea. Um, but as you look at the... Uh, the picture here, you can see, you can see straight across there on a, on a clear day pretty easily, right? It's not, it's not a large body of water, but it was a very important body of water for the people that lived there. There's lot of lots of fish, so there was a uh, a large fishing business in the different the different towns around there, um, and um, a lot of the um, the economy there depended on this body of water. Uh, And we see that Jesus in the gospel spends a lot of time around this area. Every every time Jesus is on a boat, when he walks on the water, when he calms the storm, it all happens on this lake right there. And in this case, we see that there's boats too. Um, There's two boats there. One of them belongs to Peter. So we see that Peter was obviously a fisherman. So he and his brother Andrew were in the fishing business together with uh, James and John, who had the other boat. And uh, the cool thing is that they found remains of these boats from the time of Jesus. There's a museum in Israel where you can go to see the the Jesus boat. We don't know if it was the boat that Jesus was on, but it's at least similar to the ones because it's from that time frame. And so they were about 26 feet long, seven and a half feet wide, could hold about 15 people if you really wanted to, and they would go out fishing, pull the fish up in their net, fill the boats during the night usually because the fish are easy to catch at night because they come up to the surface, they would come back and eat the fish or sell the fish if they had a good catch, and that was their living. And then after you do that fishing, you have to clean your nets. Because if you don't, they're going to obviously get bad, but they'll start rotting with the different things that are in there. They'll get brittle. You you just can't use them for very long if you don't wash them. So that's why we find Peter and the other fishermen are washing their nets, Jesus is teaching, Jesus sees the boat and says, "Hey, Peter, can you take me out in your boat so I can teach the crowds here?" And that's the, uh, the scene that, was, that is set here. And so Jesus teaches, and then when he is done, we see that He makes a request of Simon. So in verse four, it says, "When he and that's Jesus, when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, "Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch." And Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But I will do as you say and let down the nets. So there's a a couple of things here about this request that Jesus makes. Now think of, try to imagine the scene. So here's Peter, who's been a fisherman his whole life. His father was probably a fisherman before him. He learned this trait from young. He knows how to fish, right? And here is Jesus, who's not a fisherman, telling him what to do. Now he isn't just telling him what to do. He says, go out and fish now and fish in the deep end. All these things Peter, as a fisherman, knows, probably not a great idea. Um, He actually says when he replies, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. So we worked all night and we didn't catch anything. Why would we catch something now when it's a less favorable time to catch fish? Doesn't sound like a good idea if you were just thinking like a fisherman. Not only that, but they had just finished cleaning all their nets after catching nothing. Now Jesus is asking them to go out, throw out their nets, and guess what they have to do with their nets again? Everything they just did, they have to wash it again. It's like when you clean a room, you're like, can we just not be in this room for now so it stays clean? But that doesn't work, right? So we go in the room, it's a mess again, we have to do it all over again. That's what, that's what Jesus was asking Peter to do here. So in spite of it not making sense, and in spite of the extra work it would get him, we see in Peter's response something else. He says, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. And if you look at your footnote, if you have an NASB, it says, upon your word, is what it literally says. Um, The ESV says, but at your word, King James says, nevertheless, at thy word, I will do it. So Simon Peter has learned enough about Jesus' word to say, hey, if Jesus says it, I'm going to do it. He has been there in the synagogue when Jesus was teaching the people and cast out the demon. He was there when his mother-in-law was healed. Um, If you read the other Gospels, you find that he's actually been around Jesus for, for a little while already. And so he knows enough about Jesus' words to say, Hey, Jesus, I know your word has authority and power. And so because you say it, even though it doesn't make any sense to my fisherman brain, I'm going to throw out the net. Because you say it, I'm going to have this just-do-it obedience. You say it, I'll just do it. And what we see in the next couple of verses is, of course, the result of that obedience. It says in verse 6, When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. Now, if you remember that picture of the boat a little bit earlier, it, it will take a little bit of fish to sink a boat like that, right? And so here, Peter and these other guys, they've caught all this fish, they put it in the boat, they say, oh, it's, gonna, it's not going to fit in our boat, so they call the other boat, fill up the other boat, more fish than they've ever seen in their life, probably. And that's the result, that, that the miracle that Jesus does, because, of course, Jesus' words are fulfilled here, and, and they... Um, they catch the fish as, as much as they can handle. And so that's the first instance where we see Peter's obedience and the outcome of that. But now we get to the second instance, which is really the more important one where Jesus is going to reveal his, his calling for Peter and his, his friends there. Um, so the, the second instance of obedience starts here in verse 8. It says, but when Simon Peter saw that, when he saw the miracle, we saw the amount of fish, more fish than he'd ever... I mean, he probably could have retired from the amount of fish he caught there. It says, When Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. So all these fishermen are amazed at what just happened, and Peter especially because we we see what he says here. We see that there's been a a change in Peter. Um, We see that in two ways. One, whereas before in verse 5 he addressed Jesus as master, now the word he uses to address Jesus is is Lord. And the the Greek word that he uses there is a word that was used often to refer to God in the Old Testament in in the Greek translation. And so we see that that Peter here must have seen something divine about jesus just by the choice of words and then he confirms that by saying go away from me for i am a sinful man he says jesus i I, i've seen enough here of of you being god that i know that i can't be with you because i'm a sinful man Uh, and that reminds us of of isaiah in the old testament isaiah chapter 6 let's read that passage where isaiah gets to see the lord In Isaiah's response to the Lord. So turn with me to Isaiah chapter six, or look at the verses on the screen here. Uh, Chapter six, verses one through five. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, this is Isaiah writing. So he says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. I just imagine the scene. Isaiah is there in the temple. He gets this vision of the throne room of heaven. You know, It's probably a massive, massive throne. God, seraphim calling to one another so loud that it's shaking the building. And here is Isaiah's response. He says, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So Isaiah's response is not, Oh, this is really cool. His response is, I'm in trouble. I see my sin, and as a sinful man, I cannot stand in the presence of God. I know I'm going to die. Now, as you read the rest of the story, you see that, he didn't die, obviously, that God showed him forgiveness, and Isaiah was called to be, be a prophet. Um, but it's the response of Isaiah to seeing the Lord that Peter has here as well. He says, okay, Jesus, I can see you are divine. I am sinful. I need to be away from you. I cannot stand in your presence he is, he is afraid, we see, Jesus says, do not fear. And it's like, it's a, a fear of God that's not the right fear of God. It's a it's the fear that says, well, I'm not good enough for God, so I'm not going to try. I'm not good enough for God, so I want nothing to do with him. I can never measure up to God, so I won't bother with church or the gospel because I'm sinful. And you may have people in your life that you know that have that kind of an attitude that say, well, yeah, God's good for you, but there's, there's no way he could ever love me. And so I want nothing to do with it. I was going to live my own life. And But Jesus here takes that attitude of, of Peter's and he responds with, with not just uh, not just responding to the attitude, but he gives Peter a second request here in verse, the rest of verse 10. It says, and Jesus said to Simon... Do not fear. Now we are to fear God, but not in a way that drives us away from God, right? In a way that causes us to, to honor Him. So it says, Do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. So he tells Peter, who was a catcher of fish, that he's going to be a catcher of men. Now for, for Peter and his partners there, that picture would have made sense, where Jesus is saying, hey, in the past, you threw out your net to catch real fish, hauled them in. Now, I'm going to ask you to be part of my mission to spread the news of the gospel of the kingdom of God and draw men into the kingdom of God. So just like in the past, you fished for fish, I'm going to make you fishers of men. So that's Jesus' request. He says, I want you to be my disciples my followers and i want you to i want to use you in my work so that's jesus second request to peter and in verse 11 we see that peter and and his fellow uh, fishermen there respond to this request verse 11 it says when they had brought their boats to land they left everything and followed him so they go back to land with their fish and what did they do with it they leave it. Now we know that there were other fishermen, John, James and John's father was there, so I'm sure someone would have taken care of the fish, but here they catch enough to be rich and they leave it behind because Jesus asked them to follow him. Now did they understand everything Jesus was asking them to do at the time? Probably not. They did not know what was gonna happen over the next weeks and months and years. They did not know that there was gonna be a time where they were the leaders of the, the church. But Jesus says, you will be catching men, and they leave everything and follow him. And that's a second instance where we see that, that just do it kind of obedience. They didn't need Jesus to give a long explanation of exactly what he wanted, when he wanted it, how he wanted it. Jesus just said, you'll be catching men, follow me. They left everything and followed Jesus. So that's the kind of, the kind of attitude we want to have towards Jesus' words. When he says it, we want to do it. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, you probably say, well, that's, that's great, I, I know I should obey the Word of God. And I don't need to just know that I need to obey, I want to find out how I do it. Because if you've been a Christian for a while, you probably know that it's not always easy to obey the Word of God. All right? The Word of God asks us to do things, things that are difficult, things that may be hard, things that may not make any sense, things that go against my own comfort, my own ease, my own pleasure, my selfishness. I need to put others before myself. And so the question we want to ask is, how do we do it? How do we have that kind of obedience in our lives? And Scripture has much to say about this, but I want to focus on two things today. Um, First is that, For us to have this kind of obedience, we need to put our focus on God. So it requires us to to see God for who He really is, to see His his glory, to say, yeah, I want to honor and please God rather than myself. Uh, we We don't obey primarily to make our own lives better, although your life will be better if you obey God. But that shouldn't be the reason. Our reason should be God and His glory. Um, if you would look, at me at, look with me at 2 Corinthians 3.18. This is a great passage where Paul talks about how God reveals Himself to us um, and talks about how God changes us to obey Him. And he summarizes it here and in verse 18. He says, but we all, talking about believers... We all with unveiled face. So he's just talked about how Moses, when he saw God in the Old Testament, after he came from meeting, Mo- meeting God, he had a, a veil over his face because the people couldn't stand the reflection of his face because he saw God's glory. Um, and he says, you know, when, when people don't know Christ, their, their faces are still veiled. They still can't see that glory of God. But we as believers, he says, We have unveiled face, and so we are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We can actually see the glory of God. Later in chapter 4, he says it's the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we see it in the gospel and what Jesus did for us. We see the greatness and the majesty of God. And he says, as we see this glory of God, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. So he says, as we focus on God, who God is, what he has done, how we can honor him, we are being transformed. We are being changed. We are growing in what? Well, it says we grow into the same image. So we grow to be like Christ. He says, as we behold Christ, as we focus on Christ, as we live for Christ, we grow in our obedience, we grow in our Christ-likeness, because we become more like Christ, he says, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So he says, hey, it's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that does it in our lives. That's how the Holy Spirit works. As we focus on God, we will grow in our obedience. And as we think about it, it makes sense, right? If our our motivation in life is our our own glory, our own pleasure, our own comfort, our own ease, we're not going to obey Christ when he asks us to do something difficult or something painful, or something we don't like. If our focus is on ourselves, we're going to make the decisions that are comfortable and easy and pleasing to ourselves. But if our focus is on God, we're going to say, yes, this might be hard, but I'm going to do it anyway because my focus is on you. And and again, this makes sense in the big scheme of things because God never asks us to live for our own ease and comfort. Right? He, takes, he doesn't leave Peter to say, hey, I've given you all this fish, have a good life. You'll be a rich man, you can do whatever you want. No, he says, Peter, I want you to come out of that because I have other plans for you. Um, and if we are living primarily for our own ease and comfort, we have probably not really understood the gospel. The gospel is not about us, it's about God. Um, there's a, a book that John Piper wrote called God is the Gospel. And in, in one of the reviews of that book, the author says this to kind of summarize the idea there. To what end do we want to be forgiven? Why do we want our sins to be forgiven? Because that's what the Gospel does for us, right? Simply the desire to get out of hell and into heaven will not suffice. There's nothing spiritual about wanting to escape flames and enjoy bliss. Such motives glorify the God of ease, not the true God of that heaven. the the true God of that heaven that sincere Christians long for. Now, don't get me wrong. Yes, we need to speak about hell. And yes, for for many of us, that may have been part of why we believe the gospel. But that's not where we should stay or where our understanding should be. Jesus didn't die to get us out of heaven, (laughs) get us out of hell. He died so we could be with God. Right? And, and later in the book, John Piper makes a point and says, if we would be okay with going to heaven, with, you know, all the, all the, with all the best experiences we could ever imagine here on earth, but without Christ, if we would be okay with that, we have not understood the gospel, because it's about bringing us to, to God, to Christ. And so the, the point of that is that if we want to follow him and obey him that needs to be our attitude we need to focus on on christ not on how things benefit ourselves now they're going to benefit ourselves because god knows better than we do right but we may not feel like that and so the verse tells us that as we focus on the glory of god the spirit is going to transform and change us We don't obey in our own strength, but God does it in us and through us and for us. Like we said last week, God transforms us as we renew our minds by the truth of Scripture. And the other thing that will help us in obedience is other people. So we look at, we say, well, we need to focus on God, but we also need other people in our lives, other Christians, other believers um, Hebrews 10, 23, and 24. You may be familiar with these verses. Um, it says, the author says, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the commands here are to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our assembling together. And encouraging one another. And we we use these verses sometimes, you know, if people are not wanting to come to church. But if we read the whole passage, we see that there's more than just this, this Sunday morning sermon mentioned there, right? We need to do all these things to one another. Stimulate one another, encouraging one another. And so God has designed things such that as a church, we need each other to grow. There is, uh, there's no evidence anywhere in the New Testament of anyone who just kind of withdrew and all by themselves were somehow able to become more Christ-like. We need one another. That's how God designed it. He, he saved us to be part of the body of Christ. Right? Paul loves to use that metaphor where he says, hey... The eye can say to the toe, I don't need you, and, and all those, those pictures that he puts there. We need one another. We need each other to live lives of, of love and good deeds. We need to be open to one another. And that's why, as a church, we, we think it's so important that we have Bible studies during the week, that we have our, our SALT groups during the week that Graham was talking about, because that's where we have that opportunity to talk about the Word of God, when God is teaching us and put it into practice. Um, SALT stands for Saints Applying Living Truth. We could easily have called it Saints Obeying Living Truth, although it would be SALT, which is not quite as catchy as SALT, right? But applying the Word of God really means to obey the Word of God. And so as as a group of believers together, that's what you want to to spur each other on to do that Um, because as we said, God didn't just save us so we could one day be in heaven. He saved us to transform us, actively transform us right now here on earth. First, uh, Thessalonians 4.3 says, This is the will of God, your sanctification, that we grow to be more like Christ while we're here on earth. Um, and and you know, think about it, as, as valuable as our time together on Sunday is, we need more than just this to be able to really do that together. So God's given us some great resources. He's given us Himself. He's given us other people in the church, and so we would encourage you to to make sure we make use of all the resources that God has given us. And so if you're not part of a SALT group or or any other fellowship getting together, this would be a great time, as as Graham mentioned earlier, We'd love for all of you to, that aren't in, in a group like that to be, be part of it. The leaders will be out there at the end of the service, and uh, we'd highly encourage you to make sure you make use of this resource to, to grow together. Because that's what it will take for us to have just do it obedience in our lives. We need that focus on God. We need to be together with other believers to do that. We cannot do it by ourselves, and we cannot do it if our focus is ourselves. If we want to be like the example that Peter gave us today, Jesus says, do it, and I will do it. Those are some of the things that we need. I'm sure you could think of some other ways that, that are helpful, but I want to encourage you to really put this into practice, to turn our eyes on Jesus and to see how we can be in fellowship with others during the week. And so let's go ahead and and pray. Father, we thank you so much for these words that we have, these active and living words that come in us and change us. We know from last week and, and from your teaching that your word has the power to do that, that you Transform, renew our minds and our hearts to change us. So, Father, as we think about obedience to your word, I pray that you would help us to put these things into practice, that you would help us to turn our eyes to you, that we would be mindful that what you did for us was not to give us easy lives, but to make us more like you, to save us, to allow us to be with you forever and to conform us to the image of your Son. Father, we thank you that you saved us the way we are, but that you don't leave us the way we are, and you're actively working in our lives. And so, Father, we just pray for, for all of us, that you would help us to find that focus and find, help us find that fellowship during the week that we need to... Encourage one another and spur each other on to good deeds to doing the right things and that you would help us to be vulnerable to others allow others to speak into our lives um, because we know that's how you designed your church to function thank you for what jesus did for us on the cross to save us and not just to take away the penalty for sin but also to overcome the power of sin We know that you allow us to do that in our lives as we grow to be more and more like you. And we thank you for for doing all of that. We know there's nothing we can do in our own strength, in our own power. Help us to glorify you in your strength and in your power as part of your body, the church. Amen.